All right. Hey, everybody. We are continuing on. Um, we've been doing Colossians. We took a little time out to do what we believe is a church. And today we're going to move into another series. We're going to talk about Is God Among Us? And uh, so if you got a Bible, grab it and go ahead and turn to Revelation 21. I know that sounds funny, but we're going to start at the end first. So... Uh, like I always say, this is not church. This is me recording a video. Church will be tonight when we gather together in our home. So we would love for you to come be part of that. Um, join us in prayer. We want to pray for you. We want you to pray for us and us to come together in that way. Uh, eat. We got food. We want to hang out and spend time together, talk football, talk Whatever. I don't know. I don't care. We just want to spend time together and support each other, love each other, get to know each other. And then, yeah, pray and then seriously get into the Word. Spend some time talking about this very <clears throat> topic. And it's a great question. Is God actually here? Is He present with us? So we're going to begin that today. I'm going to just kind of take and unpack a little bit and then tonight we'll talk. So we want you to come. Hit us up online. We'll tell you how to find where we are. Uh, we're in Tempe, Arizona, in the East Valley. Love for you to come hang out and uh, give us give us your thoughts on this, man. Bring bring what you think. Uh, we want to talk about it. We're going to center on the word, but we want to talk about it. For us as a church, there are things that that govern the way we live and grow. Those things are unconditional love. So I hope you would feel if you came unconditionally loved. I don't care who you are, what you're coming out of, or how you're dressed, or what you think about anything. We want you to be here and know that we want to love you because Christ loved us. Therefore, we will certainly love you. Okay? And then, uh, uncompromised truth. We're going to stand on scripture though. We're going to get into the word and we're going to see what is it God says. And we're not going to compromise on that. Love unconditionally, but we're not going to compromise the truth. And then finally, as a church, our heart is to make disciples. That is a mission that we are unified around. And so we want to make disciples. And I believe, we believe as a church, that's our sole responsibility. And as individuals, it is our responsibility within the church. So we want you to come. We want you to plug in and begin to be discipled and make disciples. So we'd love to tell you what that means. Come hang out. Hit us up online. The stuff's there so you can do that and find us. Um, obviously, as we begin this new series, Is God Among Us? The question is not, is God one of us? I know there was a popular song. No. Tell you right now, not, is God one of us? We're not asking that. Uh, not, are we all gods? No, we're not all gods. We're not asking that. We're asking, is he among us? Is he here? Uh, remaining distinct, remaining holy, remaining separate, remaining unique, yet here. And we're going to look at biblical moments because I don't want to just go out there and say, oh, well, that's him. Yeah, he's here. No, no, no. We want to get in the word. Like, what's the consistency of him doing that throughout the word? And there's different ways you can do that. There's places in the Bible where he's illustratively or figuratively uh, displayed, such as the manna that was given from heaven in Exodus. Jesus said that was a, a picture of the word. It was a picture of him, in a sense, the bread of life. He called himself, referring back to that kind of thing. There's Jonah, the life of Jonah. It pictures Christ. Uh, in a lot of ways, Christ was like, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so will I, the Son of Man, be in the grave. There's a lot of things like that 
That's not what we're focusing on. We're looking more at the specifics, the literal, the physical, like where is he actually there? For instance, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. That's a physical thing, a manifestation of an individual person, per se. Is that God? Is that him? Uh, the fire falling into the temple from, from heaven, that is an, a literal, physical, observed thing. Is that God? You know, those are the things we're going to talk through over the weeks ahead. And uh, here's the theme for our series. It's Revelation 21.3. We're going to hold this theme through the whole series. I like to have a verse. So if you, if you don't remember anything, remember the one verse. But it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Um, we're going to dig into that and kind of pull it apart and some verses around it as well. But let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for the privilege of handling your word. Forgive me, Lord. I am a sinner who is no greater than any other person in your eyes except that Jesus Christ has forgiven my sin. Lord, I pray that anybody that hears my voice today would turn their life, their sin, over to Christ and ask him to live through them. Lord, continue to forgive me. Be patient with me. Guide me, lead me, Lord, speak through me in spite of me, that your word is heard above my mouth. And I ask these things in Christ's name, amen. So I remember some years ago, uh, Molly, it's been quite a while now, but Molly and I were kind of just sitting on the bed one night. Uh, I think I was reading or maybe looking at something on my phone. She was reading the Bible, and she had been reading a year-long plan. And I started hearing sniffles, <laughs> and I look over, and she's like, not bawling, but she's crying, you know. And I was like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she, the Bible, you know, opened, and she closed it, and she goes, that was the perfect ending. <laughs> I will always remember that, because what a statement about God's Word, that she had read the whole Bible through. She had come to the last page, and she was in tears. Like, what a beautiful, perfect ending to God's story. So because of that, I want to start with the ending first. And I'll go ahead and answer the question right from the start. Is God among us? Yes. We're going to look consistently throughout scripture to prove that. We're going to ask lots of questions and then we're going to wrestle with perhaps the big question for all of us is, is he here now? 2020, is he actually here among us? Um, and as Christians, listen, we need to begin anticipating God's presence now, here among us on earth, day to day, because, okay, because being among his people physically, personally, relationally, is already the ultimate goal of his plan of redemption for creation. You understand what I'm saying? Him being among his people physically, personally, relationally, those are, are that's already the plan that's in place right now in the redemption of his creation. Jesus said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We'll look at that as well. And as Christians, we're already part of his kingdom. We're already part of his kingdom right now. So that future kingdom is already, in that sense, present here and now. The one that we're going to dig into today. So the question is, as we get into it, do you live like it? Do you live like that present kingdom is here now? I wrestle with it. 
I believe as Christians we all wrestle with it. You should wrestle with it unless you're perfect at it. And I, I, I'm not going to call anybody out, but be impressed if you are. If you're not a Christian, listen, if you're not a Christian, I hope that you're going to consider that God is here. Is he? I want you to ask that question. I want you to walk away from this looking around and thinking, is he here? Because he so loves his creation. He so loves his creation. And if that's so, that means you. That means you, okay? So we're going to focus on one verse through this, Revelation 21, or today anyway, 21, verse 3. And we'll take another, a few for context, of course. But the way we'll pull it apart is what I just said. We're looking at this future kingdom, but I believe that God is present even now in these ways where God is among us physically, personally, and relationally, okay? Looking at the future in order to understand the way he may be operating now in light of this ultimate kingdom of uh, on earth as it is in heaven. So look in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look at this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay, this is our verse. Ezekiel 43, verse 7, uses some similar language. It says, And he, God said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. Both of those pictures, we are so quick to make that all symbolic. Is it? Is that all symbolic? Do you picture heaven as floating out in space somewhere? Or like puffy clouds maybe? Do you picture everything that inhabits that as being completely immaterial spirits? Ghosts maybe? I don't know. Is that what you imagine it like? Why are we so quick to go there? What if this is meant more literally? People are literal. Dwell among his people. That's literal. Israel's literal. Those are literal things. Throne then? Is throne literal? Is God referring to his feet? Is that literal? Why do we race to say it's not in so many ways? There's many beliefs about God. Okay, you guys know this. There's many beliefs about God. There are many gods. There are one God. Uh, absent God, present God. God is man. Man is God. And we're going to look through some of these, but let's start with two as we go, okay? Materialism. If you can't see or touch it, it's not there. That's basically materialism. Everything material is all that exists. There is no spiritual realm whatsoever, okay? That's materialism. Dualism is basically that the universe has always existed. So has God in a sense of good that's always existed, or the devil in a sense of bad that has always existed. So the universe, good and bad, have always existed like the whole yin and yang thing. There's always this tension around it and the universe is trying to be the balance in between. Or the force from Star Wars, same kind of idea like that. It's bigger than us, but not bigger than the universe. It's tied to that, that kind of sense of God. They run parallel, evil and good. So always in a tension that's dualism, okay? But in verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The place where he dwells is with man. The Bible tells a different story from materialism and dualism, all right? 
tangible, physical, spiritual as well, God here. In that beginning of that verse. It's been God's desire from the start as material creator. As in a being who has created material here that we live and breathe us ourselves. Not to create a world. It's not his desire to create a world that he's watched or that he's left. It is the desire for him in creation to have a place for his throne. Think about it that way. Among his creation, a place for his throne. That's what he's done. Uh, It says, verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of Genesis. Very first verse in the Bible. You probably know it. In the beginning, what? God created heavens and the earth. All made for his glory. All of it. The heavens, the earth, all made for his glory. All of creation is still God's creation. Since that beginning, is still his. God created it for himself. Not specifically for a habitat for man. He didn't make an aquarium called Earth and stick man in it to do his thing and then run off, go to work on Monday and come back and look in on him. It's not what he did. He created the heavens and the earth, a place for his throne, a place to be worshipped and, and celebrated. Colossians 1 verse 16, we've been talking about Colossians previously, so this should be familiar. For by him, talking about Jesus, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. See, there they are linked again. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And look what it says, and for him. It's all for him. It's his. Book ended between Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 21. Between the beginning and the end there, you have the Gospels and you have Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says in verse 9, Pray then like this. You probably know this very well. Believe it or not. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Come where? Come where? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer of the Son of God, who in fact is God, to say, that God's will would be done on physical earth as it's done in heaven. There's a, a spiritual aspect to this kingdom, yes, but there's also a physical one. You see that? The earth is a physical place. God's will then on earth is something that is done by physical beings. Mankind, right? So that brings us back again. Look at verse 3, Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold or look. Which means whatever he's being told, John's being told to look at, it must be visible. The dwelling place, that's a physical location. The dwelling place, the house, the physical location, the temple, call it what you want, of God is with man. Look and see with your own two eyes the place that God lives is with man. Look back at verse 1. It says of chapter 21 of Revelation, he says... Then I saw, again, looking and seeing something. That means there's something physical there to see. All right, A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, what we talked about from Genesis 1-1, actually from Genesis 1-3, after sin entered it, 
That first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So does this mean he's going to start over completely? Is he going to annihilate the earth completely and heaven? Because see, it says heavens and earth. So is he going to annihilate them both and start completely all over again? If that's the case, when he comes to verse 3 and he says he dwells with, with man there, where is that? What does that mean? I don't believe that's what John's seeing here or saying. I don't believe that's the idea that's coming out that he's going to annihilate everything. I believe he's talking about a new or renewed creation. For instance, we would say as Christians, based on Corinthians, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. That's what it says. But do you feel like an angel that doesn't sin at all? You're not. You still sin and you're not an angel. But you are already a new creation. In that sense, you have been renewed. And I think that's the same language he's talking about here. Peter talks about fire consuming the earth. Again, the Holy Spirit comes down as fire. Um, that, that, I think, is meant to be purified by fire. I think that is more of an, a, a picture of purification rather than obliteration. All right? He says the sea is no more here. I'm not wrestling a whole bunch of time with all this, but I'm just trying to make a point that it could be, for instance, the sea that he's talking about in the sense of salt water. It's done away with. You ever think about the fact that what percentage of the human body is made of water and how dependent we are on water and how quickly we will die without water and that two-thirds of the earth is covered in water that cannot sustain us because it's salty. There is a passage in Ezekiel that talks about a river flowing out of the temple in the future that turns the salt sea fresh. Is that what he's talking about? Maybe. I don't know. But my question is just this. While the work of redeeming creation, you can read Romans 8. He talks about creation yearning for redemption. Why all of the talk about that, the creation that in the beginning was created good. Why redeem all that if he's just going to obliterate it all and start all over in the first place? Consider a couple of Psalms. Psalm 148, verse 4. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Look at this, verse 6. And he established them, the heavens and the waters above the heavens, forever and ever. He gave a decree and look, it shall not pass away. Psalm 96, verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, look, the world, the earth, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He'll judge the peoples with equity, with truth. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Well, why would there be such cause for celebration? Why call the trees themselves and the earth itself to celebrate and shout for joy if when he comes to judge, he's annihilating it all and starting over brand new? But either way, whether you think he's going to do a whole new one or he's going to renew it as I do, either way, 
is still a physical earth because it's made with the same language as Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, create the heavens and the earth. Here in Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So it's still a physical place, okay? Regardless. What's your point? Here's my point. If there is a plan, okay, if there is a plan for a physical earth and creation, and God's physical, literal presence is among his people there, if that's the case, is it so hard to believe that he would be present now? And look, how does that make you feel? The thought that he is present now. That you might walk into him. I'm not just talking about a feeling you have. I'm talking about him. Does it make you afraid? It scares me a bit. I'm going to be honest with you. It shouldn't, but probably does. But that sin in me talking. Does it make you afraid? Does it make you encouraged? That he's actually involved? Uh, does it make you curious? Well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. What does that mean? Well, let's keep going. Among us in a physical sense, we looked at same verse, Revelation 21, 3, is among us in a personal sense or personally. Look at verse 3. Again, I heard a loud voice from heaven on the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Look at this. He will dwell with them. All right? couple more belief systems. Agnostics, you're probably familiar with them. They believe there may be a God. It's likely that there's a God, but we can't and don't know that there's a God. If he is there, he's not knowable. Uh, deism. Deism suggests that God created the earth, molded it, shaped it, made us, spun it, and then took off. Walked away. Hey, you know what? Perhaps he'll step in and have a look as he passes back by someday. Maybe he'll swing back this way and say hello, but he's, he's not interested. He created it, spun it, and he's gone. But here it tells us in... Verse 3, he will dwell with them. He spends his time there in that day. And therefore, it's likely that he is present and personal today. He spends his time there. He dwells with them. It is a future passage that we're looking at, yes. But it's consistent with his word all the way back to the beginning. And we'll look at that. But when he creates Adam and Eve, he's there. And we'll, we'll get to that next week. But one example, for instance, every Christmas, we're reminded of a single word from the Old Testament that basically tells us that. What is it? You know? Emmanuel. God with us. Right? Very physically. In that case, it's talking about Jesus being born. But this is still my point. God with us. Involved. Personally involved. It's not just his house that he built to dwell with us and never does. He built the house. He is desires to be here and he is here. If you're a Christian today, already that is true because that is your heart. Christ's sacrifice on the cross purified this dwelling place, your heart, in order that his Holy Spirit might dwell within you here among his people. Um but in this case, we're looking at a very physical thing in Revelation 21. And I believe there's a very physical, personal 
relationship that God has among us even today based on so many other scriptures which we'll look at. So the last one is relationally. So look at the last piece of it. Behold, again, Revelation 21, 3, the dwelling place of God is with man. The physical place is with man. He will dwell with them personally. They will be his people, look, and God himself will be with them as their God. Himself. Him. Couple more. Pantheism. Pantheism basically says everything's God. This is God. That's God. This is God. I'm God. Uh, and we're all seeking as part of creation to be unified together into God. Uh, all of, all things are God and we're trying to just all fit together to be unified in God. Um, to become part of it. Alright. Another one, animism. I'm, I keep wanting to expand on these, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just spitting them out there. Animism is another one. Animism is very similar. It basically says that all things are living gods, and even words could be living gods. And therefore, they should, all things should be worshipped in some way or elevated in some way. Um, uh, Wayne Grudem made a very simple statement in a and, and it's really powerful. It's just a simple little statement. And he says this. Creation is distinct from God, yet always fully dependent on God. That's a great way to remember it. All of creation is distinct from God, yet always fully dependent on God. Great truth. Think about how easy it would be if God removed the air. What would that do to the planet? There's a lot of things. I'm not going into all that, but... Point being, that's a great statement. But here he says, he himself, he will be with them. It's a relationship. He's, they'll be his God. They'll be together. We'll be together. Notice it's his decision to be there, not theirs. They're not going to heaven. He's there with them. It's his decision to be with them, not theirs to run to him. We can't just build a stairway and go up to heaven. He has to come to us. It's God who loves us first. We love him because he first loved us, Romans says. He loves us. It is he, God, who displays grace. It is God who comes down to where we are. It's God who cares and provides for us. It's God who is knowable here. Knowable. He himself. That's what that means. It's a very personal word. It's, it's me. It's me. All of me. It's all of who I am. And they will be his, or he will be their God. They will celebrate him as their own. Look back at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Down where? Down, down where? Down to earth. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's a physical aspect to this here, but also a relational one. As a bride for her husband. Picture, that's the relationship that God is bringing to the, to this moment between us and Him. He is a relational God. Adrian Rogers said of this little verse, he said, is the Lord married to a city? Because it refers to the New Jerusalem coming down. He says, no, allow me to illustrate. Normally when you talk of a city, you speak of the place or the people. I might say Memphis is a beautiful city. But I might also say Memphis is a friendly city. 
One time I'm talking about the place. Another time I'm talking about the people. That's what God's doing here. So it's the idea that, yes, it is a place. God dwells in a place. His dwelling place is among his people. But there's also this relational sense that it's him himself who dwells with them as a husband and a bride. Um, what an awesome picture. I think of he himself. I think of Jehovah, Yahweh. It is the God, the God of the whole Bible. It is the one God who is Father, the one God who is Son, the one God who is Holy Spirit, fully known and personal to us. That's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be further awesome. And look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from there. You can say ours if you're a believer. Eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is what I believe makes it new. Those things are absent. All of those things are tied to one thing. You know what it is? Sin. All of those things are tied to sin. And the picture here is that this heaven, when God dwells among his people here, that it is absent of sin. And therefore, it's absent of all of those things. Look back at that list. All of those things are gone because sin is gone. Perhaps the best example of our God being among us or seeking that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven comes from a super familiar verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the earth, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through it, through him. That's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of what Christmas paints, of the son being born in a manger, being given, the child is born, the son was given, and he grows and lives this perfect life that we've already blown. All of us are sinners, and we know it. We've already messed up. We know it. But he lived this perfect life. He went to that cross in order for us to have an escape from our sin. He takes our sin upon himself to that cross and he gives us that sinless perfection that he lived. And he has the right to do that because he is the God that we've sinned against. And he goes to that cross and he gives up his life so that we can have that freedom from sin. But three days later, he rose so that the sin that causes death no longer holds us. We don't have to fear that anymore. We are free of it. We are alive now by faith in him. We have hope. We are made whole. We are complete. We are a new creation already in Christ. Listen to me. If you don't know that, I'm begging you to trust Jesus today. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to have all the answers. Just trust him. Say, I trust that what I'm hearing is true, Jesus. I trust it, and I give it to you. That's what I'm talking about. Say that to him today, and then tell us you did it. Hit us up. Email us. Call us. I don't care what you do. You know how to find us. It's online. Tell us. Listen, as Christians today, I already said it, but we're part of this kingdom already. This kingdom that, that Jesus prays shall come. And by the way, if Jesus prayed that it comes, guess what? It's going to come. 
So this revelation kingdom that we're looking at here, God dwelling among his people physically, personally, relationally, that's happening. It's going to happen. If you're a believer and you know that and you hear that, then a couple of things. You know the best is yet to come. But it's coming here. It's coming here on earth as it is in heaven. There's a million different ways we could talk about what does that look like? Does that mean that we're going to have houses? Does that mean they're going to be a city? Does that mean all these? You know what? I'm not going into all that. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is the fact that God himself will be with us and we'll know him as he is. If you are a Christian and you know that to be true, you're already part of his kingdom. I have one question. Do you live like it? Same question for me. Do I live like it? I'm not just talking about not sinning. I'm talking about do I live a life as though he's walking down the street beside me? Do I live a life as though tomorrow his throne is going to be down the street, you know, or in my backyard? I don't know. It's weird to think about, but you understand what I'm saying, that he is here. I pray you do. I pray I do, you know. So this is where we're going to go. We're going to jump in some more in this, and we're going to continue down this road. Again, love for you to come tonight, hang out, give some input, give some thought into this. And uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm pretty pumped about where this is going. Next week, we'll go back to Genesis, and we'll kind of walk through not just Genesis, but through the Bible, not everything, but multiple places throughout biblical history where God has been among his people. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege of being in your word. I thank you again, God, that you teach, you preach, you pour your word into us, that you forgive, Lord, that you love, that you guide, and you direct your people. I do pray, Lord, that your kingdom come, that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven, especially in my life, and I know I fight that a lot. God, I pray that you would save people today, that people would hear that For God so loved the world that they would hear that and know, Lord, that you love them and that forgiveness is available. They would give their life to you and trust Jesus' word. Lord, I love you. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.